You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George. That's my co-host, Damian Bartonek, and today... We're back at it again to bring you some more NBA draft content with another special guest, Rafael Barlow. You've seen him on our channel before. He's the founder of NBA Draft Junkies and director of scouting at NBA Big Board. Man, how's your life been treating you since the last time we spoke on a pod? What, that must have been like a year ago. Yeah, a lot has changed since then. I mean, for me personally, I've got engaged, I got married, got a little one on the way, took over for a chat forward on the NBA big board newsletter and podcast spent the majority of this season overseas so it's it's been a lot of a lot of changes over the last year but I'm, I'm thankful for it all yeah man we've been seeing you really on the come up congratulations for everything from engagement to marriage to the kids on the way to the job I mean you've really it's been awesome watching you just make a name for yourself in the industry and we're so excited to be sitting down with I think in both my opinion Dame's opinion one of the best talent evaluators in the game, but before we get started, we just want to let our audience know that we're recording this podcast on June 6th. It's about 2.33-ish p.m. Central Time, so we're going to have a smorgasbord of topics to traverse today. We're going to be talking about upside swings in the 2022 NBA Draft, and that's a little over, or a little less, I guess, now, three weeks away. We're getting really close to the draft specifically. We're going to be looking at Osman Diang, Nikola Jovic, and Leonard Miller, so why don't we go ahead and hop into this exercise. We do it every single week. Those are the three guys that we talked about. We'll start with you. If you could rank them relative to one another, and if you want to talk about where they are on your big board as well, that's fine. But rank them relative to one another, three, two, one, and we'll go ahead and do our breakdowns of those guys in that order. All right, so uh, I'd go with Jang, one, Jovic, two, and then... Leonard Miller, was that the last name you mentioned? Yep, Leonard Miller was the last one. Yeah, he's, he's definitely three. With a, with a get, big gap between the two. Yeah, Dame, go ahead and let me know where you have them, so yeah, I'll go last. The the exact same way. Yeah, Dang one, Jovich two, and I think they're very close. And then there's a pretty big gap, and then it's Leonard Miller. Yeah, I have, I'm no surprise here. I'm in the same exact boat. I've got Jang 16th on my big board. I've got Jovich 17th on my big board. And then all the way down at 42, I've got Leonard Miller. I think he's a guy who has upside. I think he's an interesting prospect, but we just don't have a lot of tape on him. You know, I've seen as much as I can from the Fort Erie International Academy. He didn't play on the EYBL circuit because of a wrist injury, I think, a year ago. There's just a lot of mystery. I think he's kind of the international man of mystery. So why don't we go ahead and start with Leonard Miller? Let's talk about Leonard Miller first. Go ahead and give us your breakdown. What are some of the strengths that he has areas of improvement maybe his professional outlook his fit with the spurs anything you want to talk about we'll go ahead and start with you you're the expert well he's not ready in my opinion i had a chance to watch him at the combine and if you were a let's say basketball analyst at the combine you didn't know any names you just went to a gym to evaluate players and you saw him out there you would easily point him out as the youngest player out of the group, the player that was the most, I mean, for lack of a better term, lost. I think he has a ways to go. You can just kind of see it how he was on the court, that it was just too fast for him. I mean, you can see the physical tools. You can see that he has some talent, 
but it was just a huge step up and jump in competition from going from high school to playing against these guys that are, you know, the top 60 prospects in college basketball or even top 60 prospects for the NBA draft. And even with the guys that didn't play. So, I mean, out of the guys that actually participated at the combine, the majority of the guys aren't first round picks. A lot of these guys are on the fence or possibly really should go back to school. And I think it was just a huge gap between him and the other players. It was just, at least in my opinion, it was just clearly obvious that he was the youngest and it looked, it looked like it was a little bit overwhelming to him. Yeah, I think, go ahead, Dame. Yeah, I see you want to talk. Go for it, man. It seems as if, you know, Leonard, I, I think we'll all agree he's very raw, right? There's a lot. I mean, in my mock draft, I said he was the mystery meat in a five-layer lasagna. You just have no <laughs> idea, right, what to really that. think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the, where's the, or where, what kind of is the earliest you would take him if you were the Spurs? Like, do you think, you know, 25 would be too early for him? Uh, or do you think he's a, you know, solidified second-round prospect? You wouldn't touch him until, like, 38th. Man, I'd give him on a two-way deal. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think, like, all right, at 38, there's still going to be other guys that, you know, may have had – that you have more film on. Other guys, like, let's say maybe, like, a Peyton Watson or other guys that were highly regarded that didn't have the best freshman year. And I think with this draft, there's not a big gap between 15 through 35. And, you know, like, for example, if – I don't know, if there's a guy that goes 17 in the draft, it wouldn't shock me if he falls to 35 – it, it wouldn't shock me either. So I think that um, unless you're really, really high on him and you feel like you can develop him with the – I keep wanting to call them the Toros, but they're not the Toros <laughs> anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's just a matter of an, an acquired taste. But I, I think you can get him even lower, lower than that. I mean, you can probably – make a trade and acquire another late second round pick if you feel like you really want him. But I, I do think at 38, that's a little bit high for him. And I think Sam Vecini, I was listening to him talk about Leonard Miller, and he was sort of of the mindset that most teams weren't super sold on him, but all it takes is one team, right? One team can fall in love with him, and that's how he might end up as a first rounder. But I generally think what you were talking about in terms of the level of competition that you could see from the Ontario Scholastic Basketball Association where he did his postgraduate uh, year with the Fort Erie International Academy, the competition there was clearly nowhere near like college basketball, like Division One college basketball. It's nothing that you're going to find overseas. A lot of these guys were smaller than him, less athletic than him. And I, th I found, at least when I was watching, there are some intriguing parts of the game, and I'd love to get into that. Uh, you know, the intriguing, fascinating parts of his game. Like, he seems to be pretty comfortable handling the ball at his size. He has a unique handle, like a, a unique way of being really shifty, herky-jerky. I know Sam Vecini also compared it to Shea Gilgis-Alexander, not as functional, but in the way he's able to get his chest parallel to the ground, get really low to the ground under a defender's shoulders. So I think that, and coupled with him, you know, clearly being comfortable shooting off the dribble, a guy who has at least a little bit of passing chops, though I do tend to think some people who talk about it maybe overrate that aspect of his game. But I'd love to see what you think about what are the positive parts of his game? What are you buying into as far as the upside for him goes? Well, actually, when I saw him play at the combine, he made a few nice passes that I thought, like, okay, with his size and, I mean, obviously his youth, 
but you don't really see too many guys that have the that type of vision that he showed. So I, I do think there is some passing upside there. I mean, he's talented. It's just it's it's interesting that two of the biggest mysteries in this draft are Canadian. <laughs> it's so between him and um, Shade and Sharp, and there's not a whole lot of film on them. And I mean, some teams are some team is going to take a gamble on one of these, but on both of these guys. And um, I mean, obviously, Sharp is the the higher upside and the biggest risk. And I think with Miller, it's a it's a low risk, high upside choice. And so, um, yeah, like I said, I like his I like his potential, but again, like you said, based off of like the film that you saw, it's just kind of hard to to gauge the talent levels and and see how he'll he'll look against players that are equally as talented. And then in, in the small sample size that we had at the combine, you could see the talent, but again, he was. I mean, it, it, he was like a fish out of water in a sense. Yeah, and I was looking at the combine. I mean, I went back and watched the combine games. I was actually supposed to be there. I couldn't make it out to Chicago. I was pretty disappointed about that. But I went back and watched some of the combine games, the two that he was in. And it did feel like generally he just wasn't able to, when the ball was in his hands, he wasn't able to create separation, not a ton of burst. Like he measured pretty decently in, in some of the athletic, uh, you know, drills that they run them through like the vertical jump I think he had a 36 inch vertical but he reminded me very much of guys like off the top of my head someone from the Spurs like Joe Wieskamp yeah he had a 42 inch vertical but that athleticism wasn't that functional right he's not going to get up in a crowd he can get up that high in you know space but how often is he going to have that opportunity so I'm worried about him Zeller (laughs) called it the Cody Zeller because I think he tested with a higher vertical leap than Blake Griffin (laughs) yeah I think you're right about that that's insane and I, I guess that's what worries oh me about goodness. him. And Dame, I, if you want to ask a question, feel free to do so. He just is a guy who I do think has upside, as we mentioned. Just I have more concerns and questions about him than I do really confidence that he's going to reach that upside. Yeah, and for me, here's something, uh, another question I have for both of y'all. So I wrote a mock draft recently on Pounding the Rock, and shout out to everyone that's read it because, you know, it's like 150 comments. People are going crazy, right? But big a time. Lot of people, okay, big yeah, time. Well, well, a lot of people, a lot of people, <laughs> Raphael, it's interesting that you said you wouldn't take him at 38. Because a lot of the comments on that piece said he won't be there at 38, right? So it's inter- what I, I asked that, I bring that up because I want y'all to kind of just tell me and, and tell me if I'm crazy. It is so hard for me to identify really kind of what his quote-unquote strengths are and weaknesses because there's just so little out there on him. Like when I watch certain things from him, yeah, you see some flashes here and there. You see that he's comfortable you know, as a pick-and-roll ball handler and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, like I was telling Noah this, I don't really know how to assess this, right? Because you said it's a low risk, kind of high reward thing. So in the second round, yeah, I mean it's it's no big deal. But if you're looking at him potentially, like if you're the Spurs at with the 25th pick, right? Just you know hypothetically, I don't know if you should take that risk at 25. If someone like like a Jake Laravia was there, or like Christian Coloco was there, you know, like that's where I would go personally. But I would love to kind of hear y'all's thoughts on how difficult it's kind of been to evaluate a guy like Leonard Miller and just these prospects in general that don't have a lot of tape out there. Well, one of the things I've learned this year, and I mean, I mean, I guess I guess I learned it in years past, is sometimes you have to just trust your gut. Sometimes social media can influence how you feel about a player, 
And I mean, I won't mention this, this guy's name, but he was a first round pick, right? And I remember watching him, and I, I, wa- I spent a lot of time watching him, and I was just like, I don't see it. Like, I don't get what everybody sees. Then I saw, like, the upside and the potential, but I just still didn't see it. He ends up being a mid-first round pick, and he didn't last past his rookie contract. And so I felt like if I would have just trusted my gut, not saying that I'm always going to be right, but if I would have just trusted my gut and not let the other people that I kept reading on social media saying, oh, this guy's going to be great, and then there would be times where, like, I'm at the game, and then I watch somebody make a few clips of the good plays that he had, and then everybody's just kind of like, oh, my gosh, we, we need him. I would take him in the lottery. <laughs> and I started realizing, like, man, like, this really kind of influenced. I let social media, in a sense, influence how I felt about them. So with all that being said about Leonard Miller, I have my serious doubts of all the people that are saying, you know, how much they like him if they've actually watched <laughs> a full game. You know, it's like, you know, you can see highlights and I'm a videographer and I've done like videos for parents and I've made their kids look really good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> the kid could have shot four for 20, but I made sure those four baskets and I knew how to like slow it down, <laughs> replay it. And I'm not saying that's the case here, but I, I do feel like a lot of people are especially like the fans in a sense that may not have done the same amount of research. And I mean, there are some people that do, but may not have this, done the same research or have the same access to watch films, maybe, maybe higher on certain players than, than you when you've spent the time to, to watch it. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I haven't really heard of any talk about him being a first round pick, but then, I mean, it's so weird because we're at this this weird stage in, in the NBA. Maybe it's happened before, but it's almost to the point where potential matters way more than production. And we live in a world where Shaden Sharp may go ahead of Johnny Davis. And Johnny Davis had a great year, like 19.7 points, 8 rebounds per game, defended, I mean, he, he couldn't have played much better. And the knock on him is, oh, he shot 30% from three, or maybe his game doesn't translate. Well, because he has 30-something games of film this year, it's easy for you to kind of pick pick his flaws, while Shaden Sharp could – he could go as high as four. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> So I think with Leonard Miller, in the sense that – Again, I wouldn't be shocked if he went that high or if he goes undrafted. It, it wouldn't shock me either way. I don't – I mean, on one hand, you can say the Spurs are a team that does drafting potential. Exactly, exactly. When you look at Josh Primo. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was the biggest shocker to me. And I think if Primo would have went back to school, then he would have been a, you know, a for sure – well, he, he may have went in the same range he went last year. Yeah. Maybe even higher. So – San Antonio is just a a weird team to kind of guess what they're going to do because we're not really used to them being in this position. So, um, but I, I don't I don't even know if San Antonio. I mean, this is a question for you guys. I'm sorry, this is such a long winded answer. Do you think they keep all three first round picks? I don't think so. I would I would be really surprised if they did. Just based on their history, like you look at the last 
decade and a half, even maybe two decades, the only rookies who have played in San Antonio. And of course, they were in a different context. The Spurs were winning, but Kawhi Leonard, George Hill, Dewan Blair, and then recently Devin Vassell. But I look at like you have rookies even now who don't really play that much for them, even though they are losing and they're not a very good team. I just can't see them bringing in four guys onto this roster. That's why I think that they would probably be best. And we've talked about this in the past. Dame knows if they traded 20 and 25 to try to get up to 16, 17 and take another upside swing somewhere there. Um, and we'll talk about a guy who I like for that later. But I, I think that's probably the best case scenario for them. But I really would be surprised. I don't have any intel on that. I mean, the Spurs are so secretive. There's a number of guys who I know that they've worked out at this point, but, you know, they don't they won't confirm it. You know, they're not going to give you that liberty to you know go ahead and write something about it or talk about it so they're so secretive it really is impossible to know what they're going to do but my gut instinct is not they're not going to keep those picks not all of them yeah yeah I think I think they'll 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 bring in three new guys but I don't think four I mean that would be but that would be interesting I mean it would be cool to write about cool to talk about right but it, it just doesn't seem likely man I mean they are going to have a lot of holes on the roster though too I mean it, it's it's difficult like Noah was saying like you could see it either way, but personally, I would lean no. I think I think they're going to trade up uh, for someone. Hopefully, it's someone that we're going to talk about later. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, that, and that will that okay, would be really okay. interesting if they do end up trading up. I do think that's their best interest. And I guess to close on Leonard Miller, you were asking what were like some of his tangible skills right now, and I think that's the big question, right? When you watched him play for Fort Erie International Academy, you know he could shoot over guys. He could. You know, the the defensive pressure didn't matter that much. Most of them were a lot smaller than him. And he could do whatever he wanted. He had the freedom to do literally anything he wanted. He didn't play any defense, so I have no idea where he is as a defender. A lot of times he would swipe for the ball and leak out, or he'd let his guy beat him off the dribble and he'd leak out, or he just generally did not seem to be interested in playing defense, and that was not a problem for the coaching staff there. And that's not that weird. I mean, you see that a lot with high-tier prospects that they're not, you know, they're not playing a lot of defense in high school, which is fine, I guess. But that is another question mark yeah. to the question marks I have. Like, you know, he didn't shoot that well from three. You know, I think it was 32.3% for the season. His shot off the dribble looks so much different than his shot from a standstill position. It's kind of a push shot. I think Dame talked about it, how it kind of looks like he's practicing for a shot put. And the, sh the shot yeah. prep is really bad. It, it's not very good, in my opinion, the shot prep for him. So I don't really know what he's that good at right now. There was some playmaking flashes in the in the pick and roll as a, as a passer. But I also think when defenders were pressuring him, he kind of got sped up and he made some really bad decisions through balls like way out of bounds to guys who were not there. So again, he's just one of those guys that there's a lot more questions than answers. And if I'm in, in the Spurs position, I probably wouldn't take him until the second round. That That's as early as I would be willing to take him. Dame, do you feel different? No, no, no. I, I, think, I think 38 would be the earliest that like San Antonio should like hypothetically even look at him. But I mean, man, it, now that now that kind of Rafael made that point too, that there might be guys that are better right now, like in the second round, right? Like that can play immediately for you. That might be you know even more of a sure thing. I think the the question that I asked previously on a previous recording was just if you're the Spurs and you're looking to maximize an upside pick, right? What would be better for you, like philosophically? Is it to wait until the second round and get a guy like Leonard Miller, or potentially trade up? And get you know uh, uh, Usman Dieng or, or someone like that. You know it's it depends on your philosophy and how you kind of look at the team. For me, 
going to show my hand a bit, but I would much rather trade up for a guy like Dieng over, you know, you know, waiting for a Leonard Miller. But that's it's all dependent on your philosophy and how you kind of look at this team and kind of how you attack the draft in general. I would like to get y'all's thoughts on that, too, before we talk about Jovich as well. <laughs> yeah, the thing about Leonard Miller, and I, I will say this, and I just thought about this since we've been recording. If there is a team that will take him in the first round, it is a team where the front office has job security. And the Spurs guys have job security. Yeah. <laughs> so whether it's the Spurs or maybe the Thunder, uh, I can't really see him going as high as 17 to Houston. But after the Harden trade, it just seems like their general manager has like this long, I don't know. He, he has a, a, a good amount of time before he's expected to, to win. And so if you are a team or you're a GM and you have job security and you like Leonard Miller and you think like, okay, I can get him now at, let's say, 25. But I think if he goes, you know, if he played college basketball next season or if he went to the Ignite, he would be out of my range in 2023. Then let me go ahead and grab now. I mean, similar to what happened with, with Primo. Primo yep. So um, I, I do think for him going in the first round, it would definitely have to be a front office that knows they're going to be there for a while and they have a track record of, of developing. And, and personally, I think I'm a little bit surprised that he decided to stick in the draft unless he had like a Me promise too. or something because I think spending a year with the G League Igniter playing college basketball would have been significantly better for not just his development but for his ability to showcase what he can do against better competition because I feel like his like his value right now at least in the eyes of front offices has to be capped by the competition that we mentioned and the lack of sample size so I'm a little bit confused about that but you know I feel like we've talked about as much as we can about a guy who has like nine high school games last year at a postgraduate academy so we can move on but I, to I Nikola to, Jovic I wanted to add oh, go something. for it yeah what I just learned today was that international students aren't really allowed to capitalize on the NIL okay so that could have been a factor and it's something with the visas if you are going to school then I guess you're on a education visa and nil would be considered work and so it's some tricky way that they aren't able to monetize it so for him let's say if he would have went to arizona or you know kentucky or whatever schools that um, were on his list he would have been playing like a normal college student would not have been able to capitalize on the nil deal like his other teammates and so someone had mentioned it to me in a, in a post um and i didn't realize like even some of the players from gonzaga like andrew nimhart couldn't really make any money off nil and then um the kid from kentucky oscar Chiboy heard he signed like this ridiculous nil deal and now um based off of what i've read he may not even be able to capitalize on it because um, he's not a u.s citizen so that could have played a role in him going but i if i were leonard miller i think i would have went to the ignite because right now based off of the roster right now scoot henderson is their only young player and if you're on the ignite then it literally puts you in the best position to succeed because you know they obviously want the program to continue so they're going to give you the minutes that that you need to develop and surround you with with guys that understand their role it is to make you to help you develop so um but another thing that i wanted to talk about with miller's last thing is if i'm his agent 
I think he's in this unique situation to where you may be able to tell a team, like, don't draft my guy. I'd rather go undrafted and then pick the perfect situation. Like, it's what, even though it's a different situation in a sense, but Austin Reeves did that last year. Other teams wanted him, and his agent was like, don't draft him, yada, yada, yada. We're not going to do a two-way. So what his agents did, I mean, it was risky, but it was strategic, was have him go undrafted, and then we'll find the best fit for him as on a two-way deal to where we think that there is a clear path for him to actually get playing time. So, you know, you think about the Lakers at that time. They were going to have their three max guys making all the money, and then they were going to look for guys that were older to fill out the roster, which means, okay, if they're older and they're on minimum deals, they're probably going to get injured. They're not going to play. I mean, yeah. it was very, very strategic. <laughs> And it worked out to where Austin Reeves is, he ended up signing a standard contract and then he's a free agent next summer and he could end up getting, I mean, he'll he'll be on his second contract before the first round pick. So if I'm Leonard Miller's agent, that may be something to consider. Like if there is a team that I feel like, okay, there's a there's a chance to for him to develop, then I, I, I would rather pick that team than have a team pick me. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess I didn't even even think about that at all. But yeah, that makes yeah, that makes sense if you're someone like Leonard Miller. Dame, did you want to move us along, or do you have any other closing thoughts on on Miller? No, that was that was a great way to end it, and that's a very unique perspective. That was something I was not expecting. So yeah, thank you for that, brother. I think the next uh, well, the next prospect we talk about is Nikola uh, Nikola Jovic. That's a guy that I recently had the Spurs mock to at pick twenty. I would love to get your thoughts, Rafael and Noah, um, on Jovic. Uh, there's a question I'm going to have for y'all after y'all kind of give us a little bit of a rundown of his game because it's a it's something that um I, I thought about recently and no one knows what I'm probably going to ask but I'm just really kind of curious to get you know both of y'all's perspectives on it so yeah just let me know what y'all think about Jovic kind of where you think the Spurs should take him if they were interested and uh, just kind of things that, that you like about his game or things he needs to improve on yeah I like him a lot I thought that he really made a name for himself at the under 19s last year and a funny story was um you know, I spent this year overseas and I did a, I kind of made a name for myself as this American guy that knows international prospects. I did video breakdowns on them or whatever. So um, a couple of the international prospects I actually met this year while I was, while I was in their country, but I, I hadn't met Jovic or whatever. I met his agent. So I'm at the combine and I see two of the, um, Gabriel Prashida and Matteo Spaniola, who I, two Italian kids who are in this draft. I see them get a chance to talk to them, and Jovic, is get, he's on the bus with them. He's like, yo, you know, he's like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, I see your video. <laughs> so for me, that was that was awesome. Um, and But, I mean, it's because there's like, you know, there's not a lot of Americans that are doing video breakdowns on the international prospects. And so um, exchange numbers with them and everything. So I need to, like, um, just text him and just see how, how, how his workouts are going anyway. But I like him a lot. I mean, Big dude, measured out like 6'10", skilled, can handle the ball. For whatever reasons, I don't know what's in the water in Serbia, but they are developing these super skilled bigs that can do a little bit of everything. And, um, I mean, he's not Nikola Jovic, but, again, (laughs) he's 6'10", can shoot a little bit, can pass, can handle, versatile. I mean, Pokashevsky comes from that same Serbian background, and, I mean, usually with Serbians, other than Boban, you usually 
can't just put them in a box as a specialist. They they all can, like I said, dribble, shoot, pass, and, and just kind of, I mean, very versatile. But that's the name of his game, and I think that he could be a real weapon. The biggest concern is the shot. And I watched him at the Combine. Or I watched him at his pro day. He's streaky still, kind of has a flat shot. I know at one point in one shooting drill, he had like 13 in a row from the corner. And then it was kind of like... You know, he'd make a couple, miss a couple, make a couple, miss a couple. But then overall, when you added up his numbers, he shot really well. But it was it was consistent with how he shot during the season where I felt like it was it was very streaky. But he is a San Antonio Spurs type guy. Like he's he's someone that you could see fitting in that system, someone that the Spurs like and could really just kind of get the most out of his talent. Yeah, I like him as well, and I think one of the things that really stood out to me was he just seems, maybe this is a stretch, I, you know, I can't watch every single one of these guys, but he seems supremely confident. Like, I would put his confidence way up there, and maybe that doesn't matter that much, but he just looked like he knew he was he was that guy. He just looked like he felt like he was that guy, and, and I love that because he did seem confident out there, and I do agree with you. I thought he was pretty streaky from three, but I liked his ability to put the ball on the floor, make some advanced passing reads off the dribble, and defensively, I think there's definitely questions there. I don't, I don't know exactly where he fits in defensively. I kind of, and you, you can talk to this a little bit more than I can probably, but I felt like he's almost a little bit too thin, a little too small to guard front court players, but he's a little heavy footed, so he's not really going to keep up with smaller guards and wings. But as a team defender, I thought when he was engaged that he was, you know, he's making pretty good rotations, that he was in position. So I don't really know what to make of him as a defender, but I think for a team like the Spurs, that look, they have a pretty significant hole at the four in the front court, you know, regardless of whatever you want to say, five, four, just in the front court next to Yaka Pirtle. Dermot was starting. Yeah, yeah. He started <laughs> next to Keldon all year. And we've talked, man, this is so, I feel so bad. Every podcast, his name comes up as the guy who started, probably shouldn't have started. And this is not a bash <laughs> Doug McDermott podcast, but they need an upgrade there. They need a clear upgrade there. And I think eventually, <laughs> I don't know if he starts from day one, Jovic, but he seems like a guy who I think offers you more upside, more versatility than a guy like McDermott, who great shooter. I think he's a really great cutter, but at this stage in his career, I, I don't know that he makes a lot of sense for the Spurs with their personnel. So we'd love to get more of your thoughts on him, maybe defensively, because, again, I just don't know where he is there. And do you think he has utility? Do you think he will eventually be a guy who is at least average on the defensive end, or do you think he may be a little bit of a li- liability? Uh, I mean, I think he's playable. I mean, I kind of judge guys off the playoff lens right now. And there are some guys that you know are going to get picked on and ran off the floor. I do think that, you know, let's say the Spurs make the playoff next year. He is someone that, I mean, a Luka Doncic or a Steph Curry or somebody's going to target on every possession. Um, but you can say that about a lot of guys. And so I, I do think defensively he'll, he'll be solid. As long as he's a good team defender, that's fine. I think his frame does have room to bulk up. And, and get stronger. I mean, he has a strong lower, a lower base, you know, strong legs. and um, But he's competitive and confident. And I think that, I mean, it's one thing you see from a lot of Serbians. Like, you know, and I guess maybe because I've been overseas a lot, I understand that you can't just put all the Europeans in one category. I know that 
you know, like it's like in the states. You can't. New Yorkers are maybe a little bit different than people from California. <laughs> Guys from Texas may be a little different from yeah. guys from Chicago. I think in the United States, with our own American arrogance, we just lump all Europeans into one box. <laughs> now, if there's one thing about Serbians, is that they're tough and they're competitive. Not saying other countries aren't, but that's their reputation. You know, Eastern Europeans are a little bit different than Western Europeans, and so he does have the competitive fire and the confidence that I think will make him solid on defense because he he's far from soft. You can't put him in this category as this soft European. Yeah, I, I think I think too what really kind of stood out to me is just overall he's a really just kind of like you mentioned, like you said like does does a little bit of everything really balanced. One thing that I was I was really curious about and I was gonna ask and uh, it was something that I talked to Noah about we on a previous recording as well. So a lot of these overseas guys like whether it's you know Killian Hayes, Denny Avdia Jovich, whomever, right? They can all really just pass the ball, right? And that's something that I've always looked at and said, you know, I wonder why that doesn't translate as well to the NBA as you would expect. Because I've every time I see that, I'm like, man, I don't think they're going to be primary creators, but I would expect them to be, you know, have some really, you know, nice gravity with the ball in their hands as playmakers, right? And a lot of times it doesn't really play out. So I have a question. This this question really is. Why do you think that is? And also, do you think that NBA teams are doing a disservice to these prospects when they don't kind of not necessarily cater their entire offense to them, but kind of help funnel touches for them in that in that manner that they're obviously comfortable with and, you know, obviously skilled at? Do you think, you know, what do you all think about that? Yeah, I think it's tough. And um, I actually sat and talked to agents of both of the players that you mentioned. So what makes it tough, let's say a Denny Avdia, who I think is going to be good on, on his second team. Avdia was like a point forward at Maccabi Tel Aviv. He was at his best when he had the ball in his hands. Well, he goes to Washington, and his first year, he's playing with Westbrook and Bradley Bill. You're not getting playmaking opportunities with Westbrook <laughs> and Bradley Bill. So what do they do? They put you in the corner which is not his best role. I mean, you, you want to play him because he was a high lottery pick, so you want to give him minutes. Uh, but at the same time, he's not being used in – he's not being put in the best position to succeed, which, again, if you are playing on a team with all NBA-type players, you're supposed to adjust, not them adjust to you. Then this year, um, they start off with Dinwiddie, who, who likes to have the ball in his hands, and Bill – so he really didn't have the opportunities to be this playmaking oversized ball handler. I felt like he showed some of it at the end of the season when they were just kind of like, you know, hey, season's over. And they played him as like they brought him off the bench and he was a, a backup. So I thought he showed some of it there. Um, but again, it's, it's all about fit. And it's like if you are a a international wing or good passer and ball handler then we and you're used to having the ball in your hands and then when you get to the states in the nba you have to play more off the ball and shooting is not your greatest strength then it kind of <laughs> it kind of messes with you for example and then another thing and this is kind of off subject a little bit I, I i talked to a french agent about this and this is probably one of the more interesting things that i that i learned in my year um, spending this entire season in Europe. So with the French, they are more athletic than any other 
country, as you can imagine, in Europe. They Their style of play, as far as athleticism, they can match Americans, right? But if you're French and you start to play too much like Americans, then the European media is not a big fan of your style of play. Because, you know, in Europe, they, they like to play a certain way. They feel like the NBA <laughs> is entertainment, while European basketball is pure basketball. It's skills. It's not about promoting this one guy and being a star, right? So I think one of the things that a lot of European, or not French players, especially wings and guards, may struggle with is, all right, if you start to play too much like an American player, you kind of get knocked for it in France. So you kind of not maximize all of your athletic ability and talent and so on because you're trying to fit into this team system style play, all right? Now when you get to the NBA and you're on a bad team, everybody on that bad team, on a young bad team, they're hooping. Why? Because they're trying to get that second contract. (laughs) So now you're trying to juggle between playing the right way that you've been taught your whole life and trying to go out and get yours. And I think that's a struggle for all Europeans combined because, again, they're just taught – right way make the extra pass play you know it's not about your numbers it's not about your stats because in europe if you see a guy averaging 18 points a game that's like the equivalent of averaging like 30 right but they struggle on bad teams because you may swing the ball make the extra pass and you may not get it back right (laughs) so i think that can be an issue that's why i feel like i mean we've seen it with the spurs we've seen guys struggle on their first team and then when they went to San Antonio, back when they had, you know, Duncan and all that, they looked a whole lot better in San Antonio because they were so used to playing the right way and San Antonio plays the right way. So I remember asking this agent, I said, okay, well, why didn't Tony Parker have that issue? And his exact words was, Tony had the, the best balance between he grew up playing the right way in France, but then he spent his summers in Chicago and his dad would be like, go out on the playground. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he he had a, a good balance of both. So I know that was a really, really long answer, but I think that probably gives you a little bit more understanding of why some of these good passers that come to the NBA may struggle as far as getting playing time because they're, they're still trying to figure out how to navigate the NBA style. And the higher you're drafted, the worst team that you go to. And sometimes, you know, when you're on a young team, I mean, it's a bunch of guys that are literally going for their second contract and playing the right way kind of hurts you. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I think that's important context to have. I'm glad that you shared that with us. And I think there's there's probably additional context in maybe some of these guys who maybe they were able to flash some self-creation ability overseas at different levels of competition. When they come to the NBA, they're not necessarily able to score at that same level. And because they're not able to be a threat to score, maybe they're not great shooters. They're not really able to leverage that into playmaking opportunities to get their teammates involved. So there's, I feel like there is like a lot of things that go into guys just not really translating to the NBA. But I loved your perspective on that. Uh, I think that's a, a great way to put it for sure. And before we move on to our last guy here, Jovi, this is just a question that I'm curious because I, I really want your opinion on it. Jovic is a guy who you see, you know, where in four years like by the time his rookie contract what kind of player is he is he a guy that you think you can put the ball in his hands and he's you know primary is he your second best player or is he kind of you know just 
a good starter, a guy who fits in somewhere? That's probably one of the toughest questions I've been asked. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's all going to depend on where he goes and fit. Like, I was really high on Avdia, really high on him. And I think that, again, he's going to be better on the second team or maybe a team that does a good job of maximizing his talents. Not saying Washington has done a bad job, but just the way the roster is constructed, he hasn't really had the opportunity. Maybe maybe they, he gets more minutes as a, a ball handler in his third year. And I think with Jovic, it's going to be the same. My biggest fear for him is he goes to a team where they just put him in the corner, which is, you know, it's possible. You know, let's say, I'm just throwing out names here. Let's say he goes to Houston at 17. I don't know if that's the team that's going to give him the ball handling opportunities where he can be a, you know, pick and roll ball handler and, and just maximize his versatility. Let's say he goes to Atlanta. Not a lot of, <laughs> I think Atlanta's at 16 or something like that. Not a lot of developmental minutes there because they're trying to win now. And he's behind, based off their roster today, he's behind quite a few guys. So I think it's all going to be fit. And I know that's a, such a generic answer. <laughs> but, I mean, if he's a mid-first-round pick, then it's going to be a – it's going to take a unique situation where he's able to really maximize, you know, his talents. And last question, I'll throw it to Dame. What do you think of his fit in San Antonio then? Do you like him as a guy who maybe he doesn't play a lot year one, but he plays a lot for their Austin Spurs team in the G League? Do you think that helps his development? Do you like his fit in San Antonio long term? Yeah, I think I think he's actually really polished within like his skill set. Like so I think he could play in like a limited role off the bench and I think Pop would really not necessarily cater to it, but I think that kind of fits like the Spurs kind of style. But I would like to see him in the G League. I mean, depending on who they take at 38-2, like if realistically the only kind of prospect you're really uh, throwing out there to Austin is, you know, Jovic and you're playing you know, whomever you drafted at nine and someone else at 20 early on or something like that, I think it would be fine. Uh, I don't think he's going to have, you know, three level, you know, you know, scoring, you know, ability or anything like that. But I think as a, as a playmaker, as a passer, just getting him, you know, on ball primary reps, I mean, it can't hurt. Right. I, I think, I think that would be fine. So I think his fit would be nice. And I think if San Antonio took him at 20 or 25, which is, I think the range that they would look at him at, I think, it would it would make sense, and he's someone that I think could play right away if they needed him to off the bench. Yeah, I like I like him too. I think he's a, again. I think I mentioned that he's seventeenth on my big board. So if Spurs get him at twenty, I think that's good value. He's a guy who I think there's not a lot you can do wrong here. I, I remember you know Spurs fans are always upset when rookies don't play, right? You know Primo's not playing. Oh, you know he should be getting minutes right now. Lonnie's not playing. He should be getting minutes right now. And I think sometimes we're too eager to get these guys out there because fans, and this is not a bad thing. I'm, I, I'm happy that fans are excited for players, but I think sometimes they're so ready for these guys to be ready from day one to be meaningful contributors that they forget that rookies usually aren't that good. They don't, they don't usually come in and help you in any meaningful way. So that's why I would be fine with the Spurs if they, like Dame said, you know, take him off the bench. Or even if they just stick him in the G League for most of the year and then integrate him in the lineup. Like, I, I think there's not a lot they can do wrong there. What's crazy is that as an American, and I didn't realize this again until I spent time overseas, in the NBA, it's the only league that I can think of where you can get minutes when you're not ready to play. You know, in Europe, <laughs> there's no draft. So if your team is bad, 
they're not looking to develop you. You have to earn your minutes because there's no reward for losing. In the NBA, you can be bad and you can say, you know what, hey, we're going to go young. We're going <laughs> to give this guy that we know he's not ready to play, but we're going to give him 20 minutes a game so he can develop because we think he can be something two or three years down the line. In Europe, <laughs> it doesn't happen because the worse you are, then you can get demoted to a second division and nobody wants to be demoted, which I would love to see the NBA just do that for one year. <laughs> do you know how awesome NBA games would be if they say, you know what, this year there's no draft. The bottom two teams are getting sent to the G League. And if you're on one of those two teams, you're on a G League salary next year. Man, you know how hard <laughs> guys would be playing. You know how intense. I mean, it would be like you'd have two different versions of the NBA Finals. That last week of the season guys would be playing i mean there wouldn't be guys being rested but then rookies wouldn't play <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you know you wouldn't see this you know we've seen those lineups that teams throw out <laughs> the first week of april where you're like yeah Who, portland portland like, throughout like some of those. yeah, yeah. <laughs> portland was really going all in on i remember there's one game from a couple years ago it was like the mavs and suns it was I, w- I want to say it was the the year before they drafted Luca, or you know a few months before they drafted Luca. Both teams were competing for, you know that that high pick, uh, the number one pick. And I looked at it, that starting lineup for that particular game, none of those guys were in the NBA the following season. But but to answer to talk the piggyback on what you said, yes, NBA fans, we love young talent, we love rookies, we love what's next, and we are the only country that is like. I'd much rather play this 19-year-old that is raw over Doug McDermott, even though I know McDermott is better, but I'm tired of seeing him, and he's 30 (laughs) years old or however old. Let's just go on to this next guy that I think has more upside, which you know I, I, I noticed in European basketball it just doesn't happen. Not at all. Dame, do you want to move us to the next guy, or do you have anything else you want to add here? Yeah, so Osman Dieng, someone that I, I... really enjoy watching play he was someone that actually shout out to my pc that's sitting right next to me i had some nice notes typed up and they didn't save so everything that i had on him i was like really just kind of breaking down every little thing about him he's actually someone that i mentioned you know early in the podcast about trading up for he'd be a guy that if san antonio were to package you know two picks to move up to 16 or 17 15 that range i would seriously look at taking him i really just like his his everything really about you know his his play style of play whether it's being able to put the ball on the floor and pass uh, I'm I'm a believer in the jump shot although it needs to come a long way right I mean I don't think in, in his professional career he shot over 40 percent in his life but you know it's he looks very comfortable with the ball in his hands he's a willing shooter a, re- a willing creator uh, he had some really nice flashes as a, as a weak side defender I just really buy into what he's selling now I'm not saying that he's going to be you know a mega super all-star but what I am saying is I think there's a really high ceiling for him to be on that borderline all-star level if he develops and if he you know kind of hits on every aspect of his game with the development team like the Spurs I think that there's a lot of possibility there for you know the fit to just make so much sense and and for it to be a match made in heaven right but uh, I would like to get your thoughts kind of on his game kind of what you think about him and um, overall with the fit with the Spurs you know what what do you think about that I mean, I, I I don't think I'd be too stunned if they take him at nine. He's 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 good. I mean, like, so when you look at the numbers, and I was a victim of this. When I looked at the numbers early in the year, 
it, they were bad. I mean, just they were. I jokingly said his shooting numbers looked more like a batting average than <laughs> the field goal percentage. <laughs> at one point, it was like twenty-seven percent from the floor, seventeen yeah. percent from three. And it wasn't until recently that I talked to Hugo Besson, who was his teammate with the New Zealand Breakers, and they're, they're both French and they both went to Australia. And they, he really put it into context how difficult the adjustment was, especially for Jang because he's younger. So Australia had very strict COVID restrictions. So family couldn't come over. So imagine you're 18 years old. Even you are at the age you're at now and you have a job that's in Australia and you got to go by yourself. No family. And I've been to Australia. That time difference is ridiculous. I don't know if you guys saw the boxing match uh, this past weekend, but yeah. uh, Devin Haney <laughs> fought. Uh-huh. It was Saturday uh-huh. night here, but the fight was like Sunday afternoon <laughs> in Australia. Yeah. And I know when I went to Australia, and I went to um, the RJ Hampton LaMelo ball game, and it was in New Zealand. And I go to that game, and I remember sitting there, like right before the game started, I was watching – it was like, let's say it was on a Wednesday. I was watching Tuesday night t- on TNT <laughs> <laughs> on Wednesday evening. And so it takes your body a while to adjust to that huge time zone for Americans going from Australia or New Zealand. It probably wouldn't be, I mean, it's an adjustment period, but the cultural adjustment isn't as huge because they speak English. So he's 18 years old. He's going to this country that is, Super far away, time zone difference, can't go with family, friends, he's there by himself, it's a language barrier, and then it's like, hey, go out there and play. So I, that helped me put into context why he struggled at the beginning of the year. And I know with Hugo, he told me he didn't really know English while he was out there. He learned English while he was in New Zealand, or they didn't actually play New Zealand because they did a bubble in Australia. So, yeah, I guess he knew a little bit of English, but he had to, I mean, just really thrown into the fire and speak English. So it kind of made sense to me as to why both guys kind of had a little bit of struggles at the beginning of the year adjusting. And that's one of the things I would have never thought of and put into context because I didn't even think about it. I just looked at the numbers. So with all that being said, Jang is more likely to be the player that we saw at the end of the season than he was at the beginning of the season. And so I think if he would have played consistently like he, how he played at the end of the season once he got comfortable, taking him at nine probably wouldn't be so considered so out of the question in a sense. But again, he's 6'10", and I had a chance to talk to him a little bit at the combo. I had met him before. I met him in L.A. Just randomly went to go watch some friends play pickup, and he was playing pickup ball. It was like him, Christian Coloco, um, somebody else was there. So anyway, that was my first time talking to him or whatever. And, I mean, he looks like he's gotten bigger, but he's he's a legit 6'10", can handle the ball, skilled. I know I talked to a, an agent, and this, he doesn't represent Jang, but he was saying, like, he would be – if. The agent said if he were a general manager, it's all about swinging for the fences. And he said Jang would be his I'm swinging for the fences prospects over Shaden Sharp. Wow. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I love him too. I know that Dame would love for the Spurs probably to swing for the fences for him. I like him a lot as well. 
That's interesting, though. And I guess it just depends how you feel on Shaden Sharp. But, man, we both really, really, really like Jang. Dame, I, I know you wanted to speak a little bit about him. So I'll throw the, you know, the towel to you here and then I'll wait my turn to talk because I have a lot to say about him, too. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it, it comes back to the, the point I made earlier about the philosophy, right? Raphael made a point about, you know, whoever takes Leonard Miller in the first round, they need, they, you know, they're going to have job security, right? It's, it's going to be somewhere that, you know, comfortable where they stand. Well, San Antonio, like you mentioned, does have that. And you mentioned taking Jang at nine. And an off-air conversation Noah and I had, I said, man, I don't know if I would do it, but I would do it. Like, I would take Jang at nine. I don't know if I personally would, but if they did, I, I don't think it would be a bad pick. And I, I'm all with that. I think it makes sense, especially where this team is at. You know, you're 14 games, 15 games under 500. You were under 500 for basically the entire year. And uh, you need, you know, you need players that are essentially going to give you a shot of being that, you know, that 2 or that 1B, 1A. You need you need basically great players, good to great basketball players right now. You don't need, you know, a plethora of high floor guys that you kind of already have, right? You, the Spurs right now have a plethora of players that kind of play the same way. They're kind of the same archetype, same build. And they need something else. They need something different. And in and, and both mock drafts that I've written, I've talked about how they need guys at the three and the four. They need guys with modern skill sets. They need guys with upside, right? They kind of need just a breath of fresh air there. And I think a guy like Jang, who really just embodies what you need at the modern four, whether it's putting the ball on the floor, passing, shooting, uh, being a good kind of help side, you know, defender. I think if you're the Spurs, and again, the, it's, it all comes down to your philosophy and how you view this team, it makes sense. And you have three first-round picks, right? You're going to need to take a swing eventually. And like the question I posed earlier, if you're going to take a swing, are you going to take a swing on the highest upside prospect that you can at you know the position you're taking? Or are you going to wait to the second round where it's kind of more of a risk there? You know what I mean? Like It all just depends on how you view it. But if it was me personally, I think taking him at nine, if you're the Spurs, if you believe in him and you think he can be that guy, don't worry about trading back or trading up. Just take him at you know where you're originally at, so you don't have to worry about anything like that. Yeah, I think yeah that is that is an interesting thing for sure. I mean, I think that's probably what they did with Primo. They were probably pretty confident in Primo, and I still, looking back at it right now, I don't know that I'm in love with the pick. I I think he's going to be a good player. I don't really know if he's going to be what they talked about him being in the press conference after he was drafted. How. You know, we want him to be a guy who can facilitate for us and go get his own bucket. And then we also think that he's a great fit next to DeJounte because he can play off ball. He's a really great shooter. He can shoot on the move. He's really versatile. I don't really know if I – I don't really see him being a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands that much at any point. I don't know. It's just when I saw him play in the G League and I watched every single one of his G League games, wasn't that impressive. You know, not super efficient off the dribble, not super efficient off the catch not a particularly great defender. I mean, he, he had some moments, he had some flashes for sure. I think people saw the block numbers and they went, oh my God, he's blocking, you know, one and a half shots per game. That must mean he's an elite defender. Because I think sometimes people see steals and blocks and they equate that with defense. And I think there's more to it than that. And as far as his facilitating goes, I mean, he's a guy who led the G League in turnovers per game and his usage wasn't that high. So I have a lot of questions about him. And that's for me, I probably wouldn't go with Jang nine. I like him a lot. I, I love him as far as what he is and, and the upside that he has. But I think with the ninth pick, there will be better options there. And if, you know, say he goes in the lottery and, and you miss your chance to trade up for him, then I think that's all right if you're happy with who you get ahead of him. Like I have, again, 16 guys or 15 guys ahead of him. Now, are all of them good fits for the Spurs? Probably not. 
that's not a Spurs specific big board, but I think the best case scenario for them is they can trade up to go get him if he ends up, you know, still being there 16, 17. Because I still, from the point we made at the beginning, I don't think the Spurs are keeping all four picks. I just can't see them doing that. So if you're not going to keep all four, trade 20, 25, move up, try to get him. I like him. I think he's a he can be a good shooter. I think he is a guy who can maybe potentially learn to get a little bit more aggressive because I think at this stage he's more of a facilitator than really like a, a you know, I'm going to go get my own kind of guy. But I think the one thing that was consistent, and you can speak to this a little bit, Rafael, if you want. If you disagree, I, I'd love to hear it. But I thought his defense was pretty consistently a positive from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, even when the offense wasn't there. So he is a guy I like. He is a guy I would love to see in San Antonio. But at nine, I'm just not sure. But I also respect it. If they take him at nine and they're really sold that that's their guy, then they better be sure. <laughs> like, that better be their guy. Yeah, I mean, I think that he could be Nick Batum with a little bit more. I'm talking like Blazers Nick Batum. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. Nick Batum. Yeah, Blazers. The thing about Nick Batum, this is how good he was after his rookie year. He signed the – I mean, a lot of it had to do with Steph being – having some injury issues. But he signed the same deal as, as Steph Curry. It's like the same contract. And uh, then he ended up getting like the, the big 120 in Charlotte. And, um, of course, that, <laughs> you know, people in Charlotte probably don't like that. And now they focus their <laughs> attention to Gordon Hayward and his big contract. But I think that that if he ends up being Nick Batum, and I think Nick Batum's style of play was a little bit ahead of his time in a sense. So if you get like this 6'10", guy that can knock down open shots that can be like a secondary ball handler and ball mover and defend multiple positions maybe one through four if it's not like a post-up four I think that that is a worth a top 10 pick it may not have the be the sexiest comparison but if you look at it from how Nick Batum and his prime would look in today's NBA I mean I'm not I think that's a good comparison. Yeah, I think, too, it makes sense. If if you're the Spurs and knowing kind of where they're at right now, the holes that they have, I mean, I don't really see the – I don't see the big I, – I see it as a risk, obviously, but I also understand that kind of where the NBA is headed, where it's trending, it fits. He fits what you're going to need, what you need now, and what you're going to need in the future. My, my question really quick is what would be the bigger, quote-unquote, reach to you? Primo last year at 12, or would it be Jang at 9 this year? Ooh. Probably Primo at 12. Probably because nobody saw that coming. Like, we've seen Jang mocked in the lottery, you know, multiple. But Primo? <laughs> nobody saw it. I mean, I remember doing the live draft show, and I saw that. I was just like, what? And it just made me think, like, dang, I had him as 30th pick, second round pick. But. I understood the Spurs thinking is, okay, this guy is really young. If he goes to college, unless we're bad again, which they ended up being bad again, we're not going to be able to get him in this range. So um, it's almost like they have two lottery picks this year. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think Primo was probably the bigger reach. And, and like, again, I, I do like Primo. I think he'll be a fine player. I think he'll be a good player for the Spurs uh, for a long time. I don't think he's going to be an all-star probably or anything like that. And like most players are not all-stars. So that shouldn't be like the standard everybody's held to. But 
We'll see what they do. I think that there's not a lot of ways that the Spurs can go wrong here. I think really the only player or players who I would be upset with at nine would probably be a guy like if they went with an Ochai Baji that early, like a guy who probably will <laughs> contribute right away, but there's not a lot of upside there. Maybe if they went there with somebody. Some like, oh, yeah. Some yeah. And <laughs> maybe the only other guy who I would even be remotely – I wouldn't even say disappointed. I would just be a little bit weary of is a guy like Johnny Davis. Now I, I think he's a fantastic player. I actually think he's going to be a really good NBA player for a long time. I think the fit in San Antonio is a little iffy uh, for a guy who you mentioned it. I mean, he didn't shoot that well from three granted. He was kind of like the only chip guy England. you do have chip England. That is <laughs> <laughs> there is chip England there, but I, like his fit next to DeJounte, I think is a little questionable. Uh, I mean, his yep. he did, and he won't have the same usage as he did a year ago. But as we mentioned in previous podcasts, Johnny Davis's usage at Wisconsin was nearly identical to Trey Young's at with the Atlanta Hawks last year, and that's just that's not going to happen in the <laughs> NBA <Stamp> of the day. <laughs> and I just don't know, like, if I could see Dejounte seeding a lot of touches because he's not really a great off-ball player. Like, we haven't really seen him be a guy off-ball, you know, cutting, relocating since he was maybe a rookie second year in San Antonio and he's not really great, you know, standstill shooter. I have no idea where he is as a cutter anymore because he hardly ever spends any time off ball. I think on synergy, he had 20 field goal attempts off cuts all of last season. So I don't know. I just don't know how that fit looks, but again, I think generally the Spurs really can't go wrong at nine and with whatever they do. Cause I think there are a lot of players who make sense for them. So I'll leave on that thought. Dame, I'll toss it to you. Rafael, the same. You know, if you have other closing thoughts on Osman Diang or on the Spurs drafting at nine, I'd love to hear them. What do you guys think about uh, them taking a big like Jalen Duran at nine? Uh, for me, for me, it makes sense considering that Pirtle's probably going to be a free agent after. Well, he is a free agent after this year, but you're probably not going to bring him back. But for me, this is going to sound so like not like bad to say, but like weird to say. Is I think where the NBA where the NBA is headed, he's obviously fit. He fits up with the skill set that you would need. But I personally think if you're gonna draft a big that early, they have to be they have to provide more than what I think he brings. I think in a rim running role, uh, Duran's gonna be fantastic. But I would like to if you're gonna draft a big that high, I'd like for you to draft someone that has the ability to put the ball on the floor and to create for himself or even out of the post, right? As a passer, and I just think I don't know if Duran's ever gonna be that. So. It would make sense, right? It fits a modern role, right? You're going to need that. But I also don't know if I would take a big that is never really going to be quote-unquote transcendent within his role. I just I just couldn't do it personally. But it does make sense. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, you get him and Primo, you got two young, <laughs> yeah. really young guys as, as, your two, as your two draft picks. I mean, is Primo 19 yet? Yeah, he's nineteen on Christmas Eve. He's nineteen. <laughs> oh yeah, because he yeah. barely he barely made it to where he was eligible for last year's draft. I think he was like what six days off or something like that. Yeah, fifteenth youngest player of ever to appear in an NBA game. Yeah, he's really really young, really really. I, I think I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I would say yes to Duran. I think his context at Memphis was really poor for most of the year, and considering I think he ranked in the 92nd percentile as a role man. He looked really good there, in my opinion. You know, whether it was, you know, as uh, you know, in a lob target in transition, I thought he looked good there. He runs the floor really well. 
I still think he's more of a shot blocker than a rim protector at this point. Like he does tend to kind of overhelp on the perimeter, kind of drift out of the paint at times, but he's so, so young and I trust him long-term. And I also think that he had a pretty good grasp of when he's a rolling to the basket, like he's a guy you have to stop. Like if you don't provide any sort of help, he's finishing at the basket. And I think he had a good understanding of his own gravity to make short roll passes. And even though the assist numbers weren't super high, I thought the flashes were impressive. So personally, I would say yes to a guy like Duran. Duran, I believe, is uh, 11th on my big board. So, you know, for the ninth pick and the 11th person on my big board, I don't really consider that a reach. But I can understand where Dame's coming from, too. Like, there are definitely other guys who I would be more... I guess happy with if the Spurs took, but I think he wouldn't. You can't really go wrong. Again, I think he would be a fine pick there. I think I think if if they paired someone like Duran with like someone that can kind of put like I keep saying put the ball on the floor, but yeah, someone that can really kind of create for themselves or others at like the three and the four, I would actually like that more. But as this team's like currently constructed, I I don't like. I'm just kind of like I'm in the middle. Like I'm neither here nor there on it. It's it's it would be a fine pick. I would understand it. You can definitely do a lot worse, uh, but. Yeah, I think I'm just kind of like in the middle. I'm just a shrug. <laughs> I'm I'm gambling on it. That's why I have the Spurs taken. And I'm saying, hey, Tim, we need you back. Come on down. <laughs> you know, he's still at the facilities yeah. and stuff. He shows up to the facilities and he works with the players and stuff. So he would be accessible to them. And I know David Robinson, not really at the facilities a lot, but he's very accessible to the young players. So, yeah, I think that would be an interesting fit for sure. Uh, that's That would be my gamble. Hey Tim, we need you. <laughs> we, 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 we need you. And then I'm just hoping and praying Duran is a sponge. But sometimes we have we forget how young these guys are. So, you know, when Duran probably started really paying attention to the NBA, let's say he was 14, Tim Duncan was like at the back end of his career. Yeah. So he may <laughs> know more about him from you know, social media than actually really having a chance to watch and understand his game because, I mean, I don't know what year was he born, like 2004 or something like that, or three? I think think it was November 2003. So he's still 18 right now. He won't be 19 until after the season starts. Yeah, I mean, Tim, (laughs) I mean, like, by the time he was really old enough to know, like, how good Tim Duncan was, it was like Duncan at the at the down down end of his <laughs> career, but I mean, if he if he's like receptive to working with Duncan, and Duncan is going to be available for him to learn, if he's like a sponge, then I think that he has the tool set. Not saying he's going to be the next Tim Duncan, but I think if there is a person to learn from, I mean, what what better guy to to learn from? Because I think Duran has some passing instincts. I think he does have some, some natural ability and um, yeah, I mean, I, that, that would be my gamble. I mean, you have an opportunity for a young 18 year old to possibly learn under, you know, arguably the greatest low post player of all time. I'm, I'm with it for sure. And you know, I feel like that's all we have for this week, right? I mean, though we talked about the three guys, I'll throw the floor back to y'all one more time. And you have in, in case you have any sort of closing thoughts, but other than that, we really appreciate your time. So I'll throw it back to y'all real quick, and if not, we'll close things out. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. I enjoy talking hoops with you. I love how you do, like, your your homework, right? 
And so, <laughs> I mean, it's not a knock on anybody. Most people just kind of follow their NBA teams and they just follow the NBA. Then they do like a little bit of scrambling around draft time. But I feel like you guys, even though you guys follow the Spurs and write about the Spurs, you have done your homework on the draft. It's not just a quick, okay, let me, you know, read what everybody else is talking about. I can tell you guys have actually watched film and you know, I mean, I was impressed by the Leonard Miller knowledge because, I mean, this is a guy that's just kind of come on as a late late into the whole draft scene. So, again, I enjoy, uh, you know, coming on, chatting with you guys. This is Dame. This is my first time uh, being on with you, but same, same to you. So I think you guys have a really, really bright future in this business. Appreciate you, brother. It means a lot. It really does. It means a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It does a lot. It really does. And we appreciate you coming on. And since you were so nice to come on, squeeze us in. We know you're a really busy guy. We'll throw it back to you one more time. Let everybody know where they can find you. Social media, podcasts, writing, whatever it is you want to promote, the floor is yours. Yeah, you can find me at NBABigBoard.com. I took over for chat for the legendary, I mean, I guess he's kind of like the godfather of this whole NBA draft space as far as, um, um, you know, with ESPNs where he got his start and took over for him in, in April when he retired. So I'm definitely thankful for that opportunity. He could have chosen anybody in the world, but he chose me. So that, that, that means a lot. And uh, it's a little bit of pressure. You know, I got big shoes to fill. Sometimes I got to wear two or three socks to, to make it make it fit, <laughs> but thankful for that. And then I have the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, which is running five days a week now. A lot of draft talk, um, but we're getting closer. I'm, I'm ready for draft day because um I'm actually looking forward to just finding some new guys to write about and study for for 2023. And then you can find me on Twitter, Barlow, B-A-R-L-O-W-E-5-0-0, and I'm on there every day. So, again, thank you guys for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Of course, and Dame, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, everyone, thanks again, man, for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. It was really, really fun. Loved the perspective, especially um, on, on Nikola Jovic. That was awesome. Y'all can go ahead and follow me on Twitter at D.A. Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. After this, I'm about to hop on a live show here on YouTube. It's already going to be recorded by the time y'all uh, you know, watch it. i got to talk about the Washington Commanders. So, yeah, we got a lot of stuff moving on over here. But thank y'all for tuning in. Keep reading us at Pound in the Rock. We've been killing it over there. And we're going we're gonna to continue to do so. So, yeah, shout out to Noah. Shout out to Rafael. This is dope. And then you can find me at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O. You can find me the same place you find Dame for writing pounding the rock you can find our podcast wherever podcasts are found but again thank you so much for joining us and thanks to everybody who tuned in for this edition of alamo city limits and for those of you listening at home make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts we've got an amazing staff of writers over at pounding the rock including dame who do a wonderful job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team so check our stuff out but until next time spurs fans take care